0: Welcome to a brand new season of Kiss My Mic, a podcast with a Gaijin flavor. Our theme this month is Debunking Asian Stereotypes in celebration of AAPI Heritage Month this month of May. My guest today is an AAPI mental health expert. She is also an executive leadership coach, published author, keynote speaker, and the person behind the YouTube page, Nunas Nunchi, where she does a deep dive into korean dramas from a mental health perspective folks please welcome to the show Jinny y chang welcome Jinny. thanks for being on the show
1: thanks for having me mike
0: hi how's it going
1: i'm good i'm good how's it going
0: good good i'm so excited to be speaking with you because this is your expertise right I know that on Clubhouse, we talked a lot about debunking Asian stereotypes, but I think it's a good conversation to have even outside of Clubhouse so that others can hear your perspectives, our perspectives, and we can continue the conversation. So I guess without further ado, Ginny, I'll just start with, uh, with the core of the topic, right? The 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 theme for this episode, debunking Asian stereotypes, and can't wait to hear your deep dives into this. So, first, I guess, first question is, tell us why you think that's important why why it's important to raise awareness or debunk those Asian stereotypes and just your overall thoughts on the theme of debunking Asian stereotypes
1: Well, from a mental health perspective, I always like to say stereotypes are harmful, and they are false they're not they're not based on reality, meaning they're they're based on someone's philosophy or theory of what somebody should look like or act like based on what they believe that this person should be or people should be or community should be. And if we're talking Asian stereotypes, I really believe uh that's that, that's the, par- the crux of my work. I'm so passionate about debunking, de- dismantling, breaking those stereotypes because Everyone is unique. And also the stereotypes that particularly Asians face came from someone who's not Asian. I mean, you know what I mean? If we're talking model minority myth, right? Came from uh, an American sociologist during the civil rights movement. That's the history, right? And if we're talking decades later, we still face those stereotypes. It, it leads to a lot of distress, stress of having to meet those stereotypes of people already feeling like, oh, I know Jeannie Chang, this is who she is because she looks Asian. She has, you know, I look at my face, she's Asian. This is how she should behave, X, Y, Z. When it comes to mental health, our identities are unique. And I always tell people that who you are is unique, right? And of course, we have family cultures and community cultures that are relatable and similar. But when you're talking about stereotypes, And people are making assumptions based on what they think you should be doing or who you should be uh, as a person or behaving. You feel that. And that's very stressful. And then there's expectations that are unrealistic, if that makes sense, and unfair. And that's why I use those words like stereotypes are false. They're not true. And they're harmful because people don't get to know the real you. And you know, as Asians, what we faced even in the midst of the pandemic of this cultural norm of how we have to behave. Oh my goodness. A lot of my life's work has been trying to debunk that and help us unlearn those behaviors that are unhealthy that came from those stereotypes. So I'm going to pause there because I'm actually, I mean, that's such a big passion of mine, debunking, right? Asian stereotypes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah and And you definitely hit Danielle in the head already talking about the impact of mental health and that they are false assumptions and I guess one one follow up question that I have Jeannie is you mentioned you also that we're still facing these types of stereotypes even as we speak what What do you think is contributing to that slow growth in terms of awareness and and completed dismantling it?
1: First of all, it'll take some time to completely dismantle it because we're talking decades of facing it, but we are moving in the direction where I believe we should because of what's happened in the pandemic. I mean, if we're talking COVID from 2020, March 2020 to now, and this is May 2022, right? Two years, uh, in the midst of the two years of a health global pandemic, we've also faced API hate. Right. And hate crimes. And then George Floyd, which literally turned the nation upside down. All of that has as as much of a crisis as it was and is still is because we're still seeing API hate, hate crimes happening. It is helping our community speak up, speak out about things uh, of, of injustices and wrongdoings. Uh, Based on stereotypes. Right. And because of that, we're saying, hey, this is wrong. Oh, and then people being surprised. Oh, wait, you're Asian. You're speaking up. What? And then that honestly, because of the hurt and the harm that we're seeing, I'm loving the fact that, you know, we're we're stepping up for people. Obviously, we don't know, but these are people in our community. Right. And we I really believe that pandemic has brought that out more. Not only has there been an an increase, a huge spike in API hate crimes, but don't forget we've also seen those hate crimes before pandemic. I want to point that out. It has existed before. It's just that it's been to a mass scale and been covered by the media a lot more. So it's brought more attention. And that's also empowered us to go, hey, thanks, media, for covering this. I am going to keep speaking out. So debunking Asian stereotypes also comes from having more conversations, when people are like, oh, Jeannie, oh, I just thought, okay, I'm going to be kind of funny. Oh, I just thought that you guys were, you know, you guys just listen so well and you're so good at math. <laughs> and I'm being funny. But um, but that's not, obviously, that's just a fraction of, uh, of the population, right? And so we're able to say, hey, no, I'm Jeannie Chang. This is who I am. And for you, no, you, I'm Mike. This is who I am, right? So, yeah, I really believe the time of the pandemic has shifted our identity, our identity narrative.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's so good to see that there's more people who are speaking up and speaking out and there's more conversations happening as well, including people outside of our communities, right? But let me talk about or ask you your thoughts on what's happening within the community, right? Because there are notions that talk about sometimes our immigrant, you know, first-generation immigrant parents maybe may not be aware of how harmful some of these stereotypes are. So things like, things you talked about in your book, for instance, like tiger parenting, and you mentioned tiger parenting 2.0 as well. So, so, so what are your thoughts on that in terms of what else do we need to do within our own community to make sure that things are also moving along?
1: Mm. And that is such a good question and a tough question to answer because we're also dealing with immigrants, right? Immigrant families, immigrant parents. A lot of us came from immigrant, you know, uh, just that immigrant population. Even though I was raised here, I am. Re- I was. I am here in the U.S. We're in the U.S. I was still born in Seoul, South Korea, and my parents brought me here as a baby. And just because I'm Westernized doesn't mean I also struggle with some of the Asian cultural norms. So people just also assume, hey, second generation or third generation Asians, you know, you guys are really debunking Asian stereotypes. But I'm going to point that out, point out, though, don't forget who we're raised by and who the, the model of behavior that I grew up with is seeing my immigrant parents, right? Putting in those tiger parenting methods and saying, oh, oh behave don't speak up you're being too talkative you're 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 causing trouble right and i was faced with that so even me now as westernized as i am i i so to answer your first question we have an internal struggle individually so if we're talking second generation third generation we're struggling internally with that balance of our traditions cultural traditions, which I'm going to point out are not bad. If I said they were bad, then I would be mocking my whole identity. No, they're just things that we struggle with in our community that we need to balance out and also promote in a healthy way, but also understand we need to unlearn unhealthy methods, right? And then we have the other balance of the Western philosophy and thought and, and wherever we're living in, we're balancing that host, host culture, right? Our culture of origin and our culture, our host culture, for me, Korean versus American or U.S. And it's a constant balance. So when I tell people out there, like, oh, that's discouraging. You mean, you mean we're not going to just figure it out? I go, no, I believe we're moving towards figuring it out every day. But there are times when you're going to be in a situation where you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm being more Asian right now. <laughs> or, oh, my gosh, I'm clashing with my grandparents because they're so Asian or they're so Korean that is there. And that's always going to be existing because we're bicultural or some people multicultural, right? And I think that's important to point out. So that's me being very realistic, but within the community. So that's one thing, understanding that within the community, we have our own internalized struggle. And then we have our parents and community and the expectations that we also have to balance. So I'm very cautious in saying, disregard that or, Oh my goodness, our parents are wrong. I don't want to do that. I don't think that's healthy. In fact, I don't think that's being true to our culture. I want to say, Hey, yeah, you know what? There's things I struggle with. I do not like the tiger parents that I've grew up with. Love my parents, but don't agree with the fact that everything was about being perfect and succeeding and getting straight A's and, and, you know, doing things in such a way that was so stressful. That's not, that's not the best way either. However, Some of my, this is me being a mental health. Some of the things I try to do for clients is look at it in a way that's what, how can you use that for good? How can you look at your parents go, you know, I don't like the way you met, you parented me, but I do like myself. I am happy with who I am. So something must have done something right. You know what I mean? My parents must have done something right. And I point that out because a lot of people can have that negative aspect in our community of like, yeah, us versus them immigrants versus, you know, second and third generation. And I don't want that to be the case. In fact, I think we're healthier if we can learn to accept those differences, but work through them. So the best example I can give is we're in a pool and, you know, you swim one lap. So you're at one end of the pool and you swim to the other lap. Swimming is hard, right? I could literally get out of the pool and just walk to the other side and be like, hey, I'm at the other side. I didn't have to swim. But I'm asking you or clients to swim, swim through it. Because guess what? You build cardio, you're stronger, you build some muscles and you're working out. We're kind of working out right now with that, with, with our current population. And it's very, very complicated. Like, I don't, I don't like it. We're not a monolith, like the model minority. We're not all the same. I mean, do you know how complicated one family is? I'm a family therapist. So sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, this is complicated. So Every situation's unique and I don't want to say that we have to do it one way, but I also want us to be real and say, "Hey, let's not dis- disregard our cultural traditions too. In fact, that's going to cause more stress."
0: Yeah, that's really a great point and it's so powerful to make sure that we maintain the balance and, you know, you're right, we're, we're not disregarding, you know, the traditions as well. Those are all good insights, Jenny. I guess let me ask you something about mental health as a whole. So I think we're also experiencing that there's more awareness nowadays and people are talking more about, about mental health nowadays as well. But there's still a stigma, particularly within Asian communities. If I don't have the, the data at this point, but I think anecdotally, I've heard in some conversations about that. And I can relate with my family members, you know, relatives that they don't talk about mental health. Why do you think that stigma... Is predominant in our communities, Asian communities. and what are your thoughts in terms of, of course, increasing the awareness and for people to understand the importance of mental
1: health? Oh, gosh, one of my favorite questions. Uh, let me define okay. mental health. Mental health is your is simply put the health of your mind, your emotional well-being, your social well-being, and your psychological well-being because don't forget we have a psyche, right? our brain. That's mental health. but It is not the same as mental illness. Mental illness is a diagnosis of a mental health disorder. It's not uncommon. I mean, one in five adults or one in four adults get diagnosed with mental illness. Mental illness should be viewed like a physical illness. When you're diagnosed with a physical illness, you treat it, right? Mental illness is the same thing, but it's not the same as mental health. When I think traditionally speaking, our community, our population is just not as educated on mental health and mental illness. It is changing, but historically speaking, not not just the Asian community, just in general, right? We There's still so much miseducation out there. Like a lot of my job, especially as a speaker, is educating on what mental health is and, and making it clear that there, there is a difference with mental illness. And the stigma comes from, I really, some of the stigma is misunderstandings, not knowing what it looks like. Then there's another part of the stigma honestly coming from people who see people with mental illness. I'm going to be very real, that's not treated. Because you're not educated on mental illness, lots of folks, about 50% of the population go untreated. And when you're not treating an illness, yes, there's going to be behaviors and thoughts and emotions that come out that look a little bit, you know, daunting and scary because you're not treating it. Just like if you're not treating a physical illness, let's just say like the flu, you know, you you treat it with like some over-the-counter medication and things like that, right? And rest. But when you don't treat it, you're miserable. I mean, the flu or an illness like COVID, right? Or things that people go through, diabetes, chronic conditions, you treat them. And when you don't treat them, you see flare-ups. Like I know people with diabetes who get get flare-ups because they haven't been treating it. Same thing with mental illness. And when people see that, there's that stigma going, ooh, that person's acting a little weird. They're seeing untreated mental illness, which is, I just told you, 50%. Actually, maybe even more, 50 to 70%. That's huge, walking around with untreated mental illness because you don't know that's what it is. So you walk around with abnormal thoughts and maybe behaviors that look dangerous. Hence, sometimes things in, the, in this country that go... That, that deal with crime. We talk a lot about untreated mental illness, right? People who are responsible for some of the crimes are walking around with untreated mental illness. So I have a little bit more empathy in that sense to understand that they just don't know that's what they're dealing with. Now, when we go back to the Asian population, traditionally speaking, we're founded on principles of like harmony and peace. And you know what I mean, right? And and making sure we promote that and mental health and mental illness kind of go against that grain. And that's why it's, it's hard to kind of come to that conclusion in our Asian community, because people are like, oh, this is different, but it's not different. I just define mental health. Mental health is something we think about from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to bed, even in Asia, everywhere, they just don't know that's what it is. Right. And, and again, it's the lack of education. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, back in a day, our parents did not get that education. They're starting to get that now. So it is changing. But that stigma does come from that. The taboo comes from, oh, my gosh, something's wrong with you. Because you're going to behave like that person I saw on the street. Does that make sense? But that's untreated mental illness, not mental health. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I think it, de- it definitely makes sense. And in- it's it's also the highlighting the importance of education and understanding, and so I guess my next question is it's really more about your approach, right, into the practice and particularly using Korean dramas. So you know this is one of the most amazing things I've, I've, I've known about you, Ginny. You have such a unique take on this, right? deep dive into the Korean culture, Korean dramas from a mental health perspective. So tell us about how, first of all, how you came up with that with that idea or the approach and how you're infusing K-dramas into the mental health pr- approach or practice that you have. And what's been the feedback so far from people or, or just in general, like clients and things like that?
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah. I use Korean dramas somewhat by accident. in in mental health, because I was trying to make connections with, when, as a family therapist, I don't do as much clinical work now just because I'm busy as a speaker and Nuna's Nunchi, obviously. But when I was treating a lot of folks in the therapy room, families, it can be very hard work working with a parent and a child or a brother and a sister. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to give better examples. And some Korean dramas came to mind accidentally when I went, Hey, Hey, uh, you know, do you guys watch K dramas by any chance? And the mom was like, yeah, I was like, Oh, okay. And I gave an example of one reply 1988, which is my ultimate favorite. One of my all-time favorites. It's on Netflix. And cause there's a, that K drama is a lot about families. And at that moment I felt like, Oh my God, that's I, wow. I'm, I'm bringing in K dramas into my work because Korean dramas, are really good at storytelling and showing those emotions that are so real that you don't get to see in real life. So for instance, you see on on a show, a mom crying because she was so upset for her son and worried about her son. But in real life, my mom doesn't cry like that. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Like my mom will be very strict or Asian moms are like, don't show you any expression. (laughs) If anything, they might be very firm and very stern and very stoic with you. But you don't know what your mom or dad or you know or or family member is thinking behind the scenes. They may be tortured and very sad, but they don't know how to show it. The K dramas they show it, and that's how I started realizing I was onto something to use these beautiful stories that we see of emotions and trauma and hope and resilience and workplace struggles in these Korean dramas that everybody enjoys, and I started plucking them out and connecting them to mental health to I'll be honest with you, Mike, to break that taboo. Instead of me saying, Hey, instead of sounding so clinical, which can be very, you know, kind of, um, almost like daunting. Oh, Jeannie's a clinician. She's analyzing me. I brought in K-dramas to help break that ice. And then i started to using them on college kids. College kids were like eating them up. They're the ones that actually inspired me to start the YouTube channel. I never thought I'd be a YouTuber, but I'm like, hey, I'm saying all this stuff. They're like, yeah, Jeannie, put it on a YouTube. And I'm like, interesting. And I did. And I did it more because, first of all, it was helping me. I mean, I'm not going to do something that's not going to help me with my mental health. K-dramas are my mental health. I'm saying this on record. I watch K-dramas for my self-care and I enjoy them and I cry with them and I laugh with them and they're good for my mental health. So why not use them to help other people? And that's how Nunez Nunchi started about started. And, um, and it's grown since, but let's look at Mike. Let's look at the impact of, you know, K-pop, K-culture all over the world. I am so glad that I brought in K-dramas. And by the way, K-dramas were popular way before Squid Game, just saying, you know, but I just want to bring up the fact that, now they're so popular. People are starting to understand my point, and that's why I, I use them. And when you brought up the stigma and the taboo, yeah, it helps break that conversation. Of oh wait, Jeannie's talking to me about Squid Game. Now I'm interested. Jeannie, tell me more. Why are you talking about Squid Game when it comes to my mental health? I can make any connection if I want to. Going okay, let's talk about that death scene. I mean, I'm kidding, right? But I'll be, I'll be like, let's talk about this. This scene in Squid Game and why it relates to your mental health. And that's why I do it. And then I have to share this other thing. It also helps us with our identity. We are seeing Asian representation. Sure, it's Korean, but still, it's very relatable across all APIs of seeing someone that looks like you or someone that acts like you or a family member that acts like your mom or dad, right? And we relate to that. And so that is also helping our identity and empowering us to go, I love watching this drama. This is my family. This is how messed up it is. I'm just exaggerating. But yeah, look at them fighting. That's us. Oh my gosh. I'm learning so much about how my mom and my brother are fighting and how I can help them. I'm going to translate this into real life. And that's what I'm seeing too. So there's a lot of life lessons and that's why I use it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's interesting because I have squid game in my nose i'm like crossing it out because (laughs) you have more uh, examples from before right like and you know I, i have seen some but you know maybe just to step on this a little bit what are some of the things that you would recommend people should definitely see to be able to get to that point of understanding that you're talking about in terms of the emotions and how helpful they are or just just for entertainment
1: right Of course. Yeah. And you know what? I saw Squid Game. So definitely I do recommend it because it is entertaining. It's a little bit, you know, has a darker theme, but there's messages in there. For instance, I saw messages of addiction. So the main character, it was barely mentioned, but had a gambling addiction. And that's kind of why he went into that. He was broke. People were desperate when they went into Squid Game and and started playing in, in, in that deathly game, right? That's kind of real life. That's about humanity. But- but i also wanted to show the, the the thing that i feel like it doesn't do in the sense of it's still dark right so it, it's not necessarily boosting your mood so to boost your mood would be things like on netflix like hometown cha 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 or um those rom- the romantic comedies that they do so well that are all on netflix but hometown cha 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 became one of my favorites it's last at the end of November, 2020 2021. um, Not only does it have some of my favorite actors, the whole message there was about family and intergenerational communication between like a grandma figure to like kids. And it really showed this small seaside village that came together and that also showed trauma and it also showed conflict and showed divorce and reconciliation. It had everything. So I highly recommend that. And that's a lighter one where you can watch it and not feel like you're going to be like in a low mood and it boosts your mood. And then Reply 1988, which is a 2015 drama. So a little bit older, classic family drama that really touches on the Korean culture, but it also, it's very nostalgic. And I think lots of folks can learn from that. Um, That's a good one. And then I loved Vincenzo. Vincenzo is like this mafia one, but it it stars a very famous guy, had some action, but it had a really heartful story about community but also it was about a mafia. So there's some like shootings in there, you know, but so it had some action, but it had that really touching moments where you just would cry. And so K-dramas do that really well. They'll do that extreme of like, oh, someone's killing somebody. And then the next scene you start crying because it's emotional. And so those are some of the ones I recommend. Netflix obviously has great ones. And then obviously I had, I I love this app, Vicky, Rakuten Vicky that has lots of, choices by the way they don't only have Korean dramas they have Japanese Taiwanese Chinese right dramas on there that you can also choose from and I like that app too so lots of recommendations there's so much to see guys besides Squid Game FYI
0: yeah I'm definitely I haven't seen a uh, hometown cha-cha-cha so I'm definitely gonna check it out what are your thoughts on season two for Squid Game and what about Singles Inferno like reality stuff is that something you use as well or yeah i'm just curious
1: yes i did i did do a deep dive in singles inferno so singles inferno was entertaining and fun and i also what i like i did i actually didn't watch it till everybody was done it cuz i was kind of annoyed i was like what is k- what are the k dramas coming to Well, I just didn't want it to be all reality show, but I watched it and went, oh, here's a difference between Western reality and Eastern reality or, or the Korean drama version where it just really showed a a G rated version. Let me, let me touch on that besides squid game. That's why it's mass appeal. That's what appealed a lot to Westerners. Most, almost all the K dramas are rated GPG, So it's comforting on the eyes, meaning you're not going to see these explicit scenes, where you're like, oh, ooh, because what you see is important to your mental health. So if you're seeing something pleasant and very G-rated and cutesy, it helps your mood. And so, Squid Game two, season two. I'll be honest, I'll watch it. I'm super excited. I really. I first of all, the actors in that are very famous. So I am eager to see Squid Game 2. So nothing against that. And then Singles Inferno 2 also coming out. Of course, I'll watch it for the hype, but it's probably not, those are not my favorite genres per se. Mine tend to be more the family rom-com, like kind of like slower paced dramas. Oh, I can't believe I didn't mention this one. My Mister is also on Netflix. It's one of my favorites. Now it's not for everybody because it's slow and a little bit melancholy, but it is deep and I really believe it can change your life watching it. So I do I do think the fun ones are great and I'm actually so excited when I see all this um, hype around squid game. Here's another thing I'll share. as a Korean American, I grew up very shamed, ashamed of my culture and I know a lot of Asians that I work with grew up feeling ashamed of who they are. So for the first time when I'm seeing this global phenomenon of k-pop and BTS, that people know about that I'm like, I know BTS, but oh my gosh, you're so into BTS and they're not Asian. I get so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually cool for the first time because I am Asian or I am Korean or, you know, and that's really important for my identity and other people's identity saying for the first time, they are so proud that people love Asian food or even in the midst of API hate, people love things about the Asian culture there there's also that balance of understanding that there's not cultural appropriation and all that stuff right of course but still overall the day and age we live in is very different than when i was growing up
0: yep definitely and i can relate to being filipino that that kind of uh, mindset exists right in our communities of not really comfortable or proud of our identities and i think it's a journey that you know a lot of people have gone through or are going through or still are about to go through once they embark on that and accept it. But I guess just one question on that. Why do you think it's important for Asians or in general people, right, to embrace cultural identities and you know, racial identities?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important for everybody, to be honest, but Asians and, and just people who are people of color are more complex. They're more complex because we have bicultural, and then we're we're not the minor we're we're still seen as minority communities, and we are people of color. So I think it's super important to understand that our cultural identity—it's about embracing. I love how you use that word. It's important to for the sake of our mental health. It's like rejecting yourself when you're like, "I don't like being Korean." So I was rejecting myself a lot of my teenage years, right? And my book was a lot about that, disliking the Korean cultural. Traditions, because I thought they were terrible. But as I aged, I realized, wait a second, part of that was also hating on me because I am Korean. I can't change my face, <laughs> you know. I, um, you know, as much as we we can, okay. There's like things we could do to change our face, but you know what I mean? That's a joke. I can't change the way uh, what I came from, and I think that's important not to, because when you're talking about your mental health, a lot of that peace in your mental health comes from accepting all the parts of you, good and bad. And there's many good and bad, right? And the bad is not, not so terrible in the sense of the things that we need to work on and the things in our history and cultures we dislike. I always tell people, it's okay to say that you don't like things about your culture. I say it all the time. I go, I really dislike tiger parents. And then, and then I struggle with it, right? I'm being very honest. I have kids. I find myself sometimes being a tiger parent, but that's because it's embedded in my upbringing. So I can't reject that about me. I just have to work through it, navigate it, kind of go, oh, okay, Jeannie, let's work on this because you know that this isn't, this isn't good for your kids. And then you're going to continue that unhealthy pattern. So it's very important to understand our culture is complicated and our sense of heritage and our background is very multi layered, multifaceted. There is not one way of looking at who we are. And I want to tell people that's what they, they, they want to look at things very linearly or in a linear way. You have to look, look at things in a circular way, which is hard when people are like, what do you mean? Why would I look at things in circles? So I go, cause mental health, your emotions, your identity is not linear. I mean, yes, you have a beginning of life and an end of life physically, but emotionally and your identity of like, maybe you're a mom or maybe you came out as gay. Maybe you're, that's all different. Your, your patterns are life are different, right? Yeah. So talking about even uh, gender identity and sexual sexuality, right? Very important to embrace that too, and just come to terms with who you are. That's also a big part of who you are. And I want to bring that out because there are many people that I see who can't quite embrace maybe what they're experiencing in their gender or sexuality. And I bring it out saying, hey, your mental health is a priority. If you cannot accept this is how you're experiencing life. And this is what you're feeling. I need you to do that first before you can, you know, market it to your family or or be proud of who you are. It has to come from you first, if I'm making sense. So that's a big part of it. And I love that Cajun flair. It means you're embracing that, which is very important to your mental health to embrace that.
0: Absolutely. No, this has just been so helpful, so insightful, I'm sure to a lot of people as well. You know, make sure that you guys uh, get Ginny to be your speaker <laughs> at, you know, your next event. And also you mentioned about your book, which I read, here it is. And basically, I guess the next question as we close our you know conversation and wrap up our dis- discussion is, you talk a lot about, you know, Asian stereotypes, mental health, Korean dramas, you know, t- parenting, our culture and identities. So you're so busy and thank you so much for taking the time to be part of the show and for sharing your thoughts and insights. So what's next for for Ginny, you know, like, and, and how people, how can people support you? I know you have a, a big YouTube page, you know, with, with content on Korean dramas. It's growing and it's really exploding. So yeah, you know, tell us a little bit about the next steps for you, Ginny.
1: Oh, thanks so much for asking, and thanks so much for supporting my YouTube. So May is Mental Health Month and API Heritage Month. So just getting through that, like you said, I am a corporate speaker, so I'm very busy. But that's okay because my work is promoting Asian identity and mental health, and who I I'm I'm proud to do that. Like I want to talk about debunking stereotypes till I'm blue in the face. So I'll do that. But after May, I look forward to some rest. But yeah, I'm on. Um, I'm very active on social media as Nunes and Nuchi. Supporting me would just be, I don't know, um, giving me a DM saying you watched <laughs> you watched a K drama and you want to talk about it with me. Oh, if you want to be my best friend, just watch a K drama that I recommend and we could talk about it, and that you could be my best friend. You know, obviously K dramas and K pop. But but at the end of the day, uh, self care. If you see me talking about K dramas. It's not because it's for my work. It's because it is a big part of my self-care. So that's why you see me talk about it. And that's how I have to take care of myself, Mike, right? Yeah. No, that's a
0: great way to edit. So watch more K drama. So <laughs> and eat more Korean food. So we need to get together on that <laughs> as well.
1: Yes, and I and I love and I love Filipino food. I love Caldereta. Is it Caldereta?
0: Yeah. Oh, we gotta share. We gotta share um recipes. So Because we're both North Carolina, so. That's
1: right. We're going to meet in person again.
0: Yes. There you go. All right. So with that, I want to thank you, Ginny, for your time. And thanks to all the listeners. Bye, everybody.